Well, okay, let's have a look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we've been sharing on extravagant love and talked about loving the Lord, loving your neighbor as yourself. We want to look at loving your neighbor now, loving your neighbor. And uh, remember the verse that we shared, Matthew chapter 22, you should just about know it by heart now. Uh, what is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And this is the first and great commandment. And then the second is like it, shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus said then, all the law and the prophets are summarized in those two commands. In other words, the Bible is about love. It's about revealing the nature of God. And we did uh, two or three sessions on loving God's love for us and our love for Him in response. Then we talked over the last couple of weeks about uh, loving yourself, about treating yourself as God treats you, placing value on yourself, agreeing with what God says about you, listening to what God says about you, opening your life to receive God's love, and then standing with boundaries around your life so your life actually becomes whole. And I want to just move from there into sharing about love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, we're just moving to that. I want to share a number of things on that. But today we'll just do one message, and I want to just do an overview of where we can go. If you want to look with me, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Love is incredibly practical. So we've looked at spiritual dimensions of it, the need to experience God. It's important we experience God. Not just know about Him, but encounter Him, experience Him, have uh, encounters with Him where we hear His voice. He shows us things. We need that. That's the fuel for the fire. That's the fuel to keep us alive. But encounters with God are always to lead us to mission. Love always has an outworking or a practical expression. So we read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love. How do we know love? Because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. That's the person next to you. And whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So you notice he talks in about the example of Jesus Christ. This is what love is about. Love is seen in what Jesus did. Jesus, the Bible tells us, filled with the love, filled with the compassion of God, but you can't have a heart full of love and nothing overflow. If you've got the love of God in you, there must be an expression of it some way. Jesus overflowed. How did he express the love of God? He expressed it tangibly. He ministered the anointing of the power of God to minister to needs of people. He connected with people where they were. He demonstrated acceptance of people. He discovered needs people had by listening and interacting to them. And wherever he met with people, he allowed his life routines to be interrupted so that the needs of people could be met. In other words, he demonstrated what love looks like. Love is incredibly practical, and it gets involved with people. Finally, he loved us so much, he laid down his life for us, sacrificed his life in giving for people. So notice what it says now. If he laid his life down, that's the model, that's the example. We ought to lay our lives down for our brethren. So we're called to follow Jesus' example, not to just listen to words, but to do what he did. In Ephesians 5.1, it says, be followers of God, even as Christ loved us and gave an example to us, follow his example. 
And what we tend to do is we look at what others are doing. Well, he's doing this, or he's not doing this, or, or this is what's happening. This is reality. We need to define our Christian walk using Jesus as the model. As he walked, that's how we'll walk. As he handled people, that's how we handle people. God is wanting to reveal what Jesus is like through you and me. And he can't do it unless we engage with people. And you'll find that our experiences of God are vitally connected also to our experiences with people and how we interact and work with people. Notice what it says here, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now notice the key issue here is seeing someone in need. Now there are more needs that you can minister to. So take a break. You don't have to minister to every need there is. You're not responsible to meet every need. Even Jesus didn't meet every need. He, he walked in and out of the temple week by week, and yet nevertheless there was a cripple there. He never healed that cripple. He was motivated and directed by an inspiration from his father. Nevertheless, he met needs. So if anyone see his brother in need, most time when we see someone in need, we say, well, someone ought to do something about that. You know, that's wrong. Someone ought to do something about that. Actually, you're right. The someone who ought to do something about it is you because you have seen the need. Now, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know quite what to do. Well, there's always something we can do. We're not required to meet everyone's needs. We're not required to meet all of their needs. What we are required is to not shut up our heart when we see a person in need. To shut up your heart means to wall yourself off. One of the problems with TV and exposure to TV, if you watch a lot of TV, if you see a lot of world news and the violence and the destruction and all the difficulties and things that happen to people, or if you watch too much violence on TV, you watch uh, too many games where people have been killed and things like that, what happens is you become a spectator and your heart becomes hardened and you can look at need and not be touched. And so the Bible tells us that love, the love God is looking for, is not just about lifting our hands in worship. It goes beyond that. It actually overflows where you see someone with a need, you begin to start to take initiative to connect with the person and help them. Notice what it says, if you see the brother in need and you have something that can supply that need and you shut your heart up, then how can you say that the love of God is manifesting in your life? Isn't that interesting? So we can, I've been in meetings and I've experienced deeply the love of God and felt full of the love of God, but at the end it comes down to this. When you see someone in need, will you connect with them and then begin to manifest practically some answers to the problems they have? Very clear. Don't shut up our heart against a brother in need. The key issue is shutting up the heart. It's important for us to maintain good works. And Titus, it tells us in the last chapter of Titus, it says, be careful to maintain good works in order that you be fruitful. In other words, God wants us to ensure that we're not just talk, we actually, on the ground level, are doing things that change the lives of those around us. Be careful to maintain good works. Be careful to be involved doing things. Isn't that interesting? Oh, well, you know, it's not all about good works. It's about intimacy. Intimacy results in good works. Jesus was intimate with the Father, and he abounded in good works to people. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says, Acts 10.38. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he went around doing good. 
healing all who are oppressed of the devil. So our love, our relationship, our intimacy with the Father is to lead us to overflow and connect with people. And the interesting thing about that, of course, is our connections with people is where the reality, substance, and the maturity of our Christian life is revealed. So spiritual experience need to be connected to practical action. You see, Isaiah had a, an encounter with heaven, saw the throne of God, the glory of God, heard the angels, saw and felt and experienced heaven. And then coming out of that encounter, he captured the heart of God. Whom shall we send? He said, Lord, send me. I want to be part of the answer in meeting the needs of people. Most powerful overflow of our spiritual experience is that we begin to engage people in a different way. Spiritual experiences, revelation from the Word, revelations of spiritual things must lead to encountering and working with people. Paul said, I had more revelation than anyone. Nevertheless, I had pressure and afflictions come against me, lest I be lifted up in pride. So one of the problems that comes with the greater the spiritual experiences and revelation we have, the greater responsibility we have to engage with people. The dilemma I've seen over the years is when we have experiences and in the end they don't lead to practical action, it leads to pride and elitism. I've seen that years ago, always concerned me, that the revelation was not matched with a humility that met the needs of people. And so love that's practical and real, the real experience with God, the tangible experience of God is to direct us to people. And one of the things that happen is when you meet with people, you find that they're difficult. They have problems and they're messy. Have you noticed that? Well, it's one thing to say, I'm full of the love of God. That's wonderful. Now let's see what happens when we put a messy person in front of you. Person and they irritate you. Person, they've got holes and claps, all kinds of things going on in their life. What are you going to do? Well, what you'll do is you will manifest the level of maturity of God's love that you carry. If you're impatient, you don't have much love because love is patient. If you're unkind, you don't have much love because love is kind. If you're harsh, then you don't have much love because love is gentle. So we, we see that, so the check mark, the check mark for our spiritual experience and walk with God is the people that God brings into our life. Now, don't you just hate that teaching? Huh? Because what it does, it brings responsibility. It brings responsibility that we don't just talk and engage alone with God, but we actually overflow to start to engage with people and show what God is really like. Over the years I've been in church, I found people, and I included, I love spiritual experiences. I love time with God. It's away from all those people. They're lovely. But you know, it's to lead us to engaging people at a different and a deeper and a more impacting level. Look at this. He says, uh, let's just pick it up there in verse 20 of 1 John 4. Uh, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Whoever does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has seen? So you see what the, the trouble here is that, you know, we feel full of the love. Of, oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. And God brings someone in front of our life. That really shows us up. It really shows the level of love we have. And God wants to increase the tangible manifestation of loving people. The bottom of the line, whatever spirituality we have must show itself in love for people. Gentleness and kindness and forgiveness and mercy and grace. You know, this is a key part of what Jesus said was required of us. It's not, you notice it, it's a command. <laughs> it's a command. 
this commandment we have of him, that he who loves God, oh, must love his brother also. So have a look around, they're near you. Even right now, if you were to have a look around, you'd probably see some people, well, you, you'll probably avoid them on the way out of the church. See, and you think, I wonder why that is. Well, it's because your heart is walled off for some reason. Could be all kinds of reasons, maybe hurt or whatever, but that's not love flowing. See, there's a thing called cold love. If we look at this and we say, well, you know, if anyone hates his brother, well, you know, we're not conscious of hating someone. What we do is just build a wall and shut them out. And any of you who have been with someone who shut you out, you didn't feel embraced, you felt barely tolerated, but actually the coldness of it actually is wounding. It actually impacts us quite negatively. Well, that's their problem and their issue. But nevertheless, cold love is not real love at all. Cold love ministers a different spirit to people. God wants us to learn how to open our heart and celebrate and make people welcome in our life. I remember when we first started the church here, we had at one point there, there's a whole lot of things happening. It was all exciting and wonderful and it was a bit wild. And then in the midst of all the wildness, we had about 10, no, about eight uh, uh, mongrel mob yeah, from Auckland came into the meeting. That was a bit of a surprise. You don't see that every Sunday, do you? It was quite fun, really. I thought, oh, yeah, this is good. You know, all the gear and the tattoos, every kind of thing on and uh, whatever. And, uh, and it was quite exciting, you see. And, and we preached the gospel and they got saved. And uh, we had people come up and they got saved. And, and then at that time there, I had a guy in the, I had a, some people in the church and, and uh, I had one person there. And, and uh, the thing he, he said, well, you know, I'd love to be used in ministry, but I don't want to sort of get involved with these guys. And, and I looked at him in the eye and I said, if you won't get involved with these guys, I don't think this church is the place for you because we're involved with them. And if you want to be involved in ministry, you can't pick and choose who you minister to. You need to learn to embrace who God brings into your life. And, see? and so you need to love them, reach out and love them. And so we reached out and we had a, had, had a really wonderful time. Oh, and they flogged the offering. But you know that offering box that's down the back there? Well, that, got, that walked out the door with them one night. But, but I went and talked to them and they brought it back. And uh, we got it back, as you can see, you got it back. But the point is this, is that the religious spirit over some people will not permit them to love people that God wants to impact. It divides the world into those who are acceptable and not acceptable, those I'll like and reach out to, those I won't get involved with. The heart of God is to reach out to people wherever they are, whatever's going on. So you start to think about that. Think of what are the chief criticism that Jesus' opponents had that he ate with all the wrong kind of people, sinners and messed up lives, all the kinds of people that you wouldn't, the good people wouldn't mix with. But Jesus mixed with them because he came to demonstrate the love and heart of God. Isn't that fantastic? Don't you love that? Love initiates action to do something. Let's have a look in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I want to have a look at where the same issue was raised again by someone else, the lawyer this time, trying to trap Jesus and ask him the question, well, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he throws it back at him in verse 26. He said, what do you, see, what do you read in the Bible? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well done. You've answered rightly. We'll do this and live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, well, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. He saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and saw him and had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, whatever more you spend, when I come back, I'll repay you. Who of these three do you think then was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Notice the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus reversed it and said, who is a neighbor? And so the lawyer is trying to trap Jesus and catch him out over the law. And Jesus makes it very clear. It's not a matter of trying to identify who around you is your neighbor. What counts is, are you a neighbor to those around you in need? Are you a neighbor? A neighbor gets involved. A neighbor engages with needs. A neighbor does something. So let's just go through this parable. I want to just highlight a few things, which I'll develop at a later time. And uh, notice here it says, A certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. So here's a story of a man in need. And this man had set out on a journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, wherever, where is it? The other way around. Jerusalem to Jericho. And that area is notoriously dangerous, full of thieves and robbers. And he was set upon. He did not expect that before he got to the end of his journey, he would encounter such a violent attack. Thieves set on him, they hit him and beat him up, stripped him of his clothes, left him wounded, left him half dead. They abandoned him. Notice the things that happened here. This man fully expected he would walk through the journey of life and he would not have such a thing happen to him. He is like many people around us. We meet them every day. They're in school. Some of your teachers are like this. Some of the students in your class are like this. You meet them in business. You meet them in the community. I have never gone anywhere. I didn't meet people who were just like this person here. They have had experiences in their life where they were set upon by demonic powers, set upon by thieves. The Bible says the devil is a thief and a robber, being wounded in some kind of way. That which was good in their life that God destined them to have was taken from them. They were abandoned in some kind of way and left there barely struggling to make it through life. This is the condition of many people. You meet them all the time. They're around you all the time. Some will be sitting here. Some turn up in our freedom retreats. Some come to our restoration retreats. And always that person that looks so nice, worshiping God, there they were, broken, wounded, half dead on the inside, beaten up in the stories of life. The Bible tells us that they were wounded. That word for wound is trauma. Traumas, emotionally painful experiences, divorces, abuse, addictions, all kinds of things. This is the world we live in. Everywhere we go, we meet people who are like this. Everywhere we go, there are people around exactly like this. Now, I want you to see what the priest and the Levite did. As the priest there came and saw him, and then he just crossed and passed by on the other side. He did not want to get involved. Notice, he saw him and then shut up his heart against him. It's not he didn't see the need. It's not he wasn't aware there was something wrong. He just closed up his heart. The Levite went, and he not only saw him, he went over and looked closely. Oh, man, what a mess. And he shut up his heart, and he left him as well. Jesus brought this out to show us this is what religion is like. Religion does not have a heart for people. Religion shuts up the heart and will not get involved with people. These people were dedicated. They went to church. They went to meetings, tried to obey the law, tried to do everything that was right. But they did not have the heart, the spirit, that which captivates what God is like. 
God calls us to intimate relationship, and out of that, the flow of life and presence and anointing and the love of God to touch people. These people shut up their heart. They closed their heart. They held their heart in. I found that religion will cause people to divide their world up. Those who are acceptable, those non-acceptable. There's a judging attitude, a superior attitude. There's something that you feel when you meet it. We're not to be like that. We're called to be something different. Jesus was demonstrating the impotence of religion and, and showing how the church of his day had lost the heart of God and lost the purpose of God to connect his people with the community to be a, a channel of life and healing and power. Then he begins to talk about the Samaritan. Talks about the Samaritan. Samaritan, of course, was someone that they all hated. So this really was a poke in the nose to the religious people of the day. You know something? God can raise up anyone to meet the needs of the community, and he will do. He'll raise up anyone who is willing. And for us to stay with what God is doing, we have to be willing to engage with the needs of people. You can't just have experiences in worship without actually catching and moving with the heart of God, which is to meet people. I want to show you several things out of this uh, next passage on the, on the Good Samaritan. I want to just highlight for you several things that we'll open up and look at a little bit further. But I want you to see this guy. There's a certain Samaritan journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will come. When I come again, I'll repay you. Notice first thing. He came where he was. It's one of the first things that God has. God's heart is that his people be like the Samaritan. God's heart is we be like the Samaritan. God's heart is for you to be like the Samaritan. So the first thing we need to understand, the church that Jesus is building is apostolic. Every believer is sent by God on a mission. Every believer, wherever you are in the community, you are sent by God. So the first thing is that we embrace our calling as a sent person. Where you are, you are empowered to minister. Wherever you go, you're called by God to be a minister. You're called by God to be His ambassador and representative. We are sent people. It says here, it says He came where He went. Well, every one of us meets people. I guarantee that within this week, if you were to position yourself with an open heart and begin to look for the opportunities, God will bring someone to you who's battered, wounded, half dead, got issues inside their heart, waiting for someone who will not cross to the other side, but will actually engage them and reach out to them. I found I had a group of guys at one point, and I said, one day this week, I taught them just about asking questions and listening. I said, don't talk so much, ask more questions and listen. And if you'll do that, People will open up their heart and tell you what they really are concerned about and what is really happening. But if you shut your heart up and just want to talk about yourself and be interested in yourself, you'll miss the opportunities. You've got to look for them. This man came where he was. Now, in your life, God is going to bring you to where people are wounded. You will come where they are. Why? That's God's plan. It's planned for an apostolic church is that wherever people go, they will go where people are wounded, hurt, damaged, whether it's the businessman who looks so good and seems successful, but his heart is broken, his marriage is failing, got all kinds of issues in his heart, whether it's some young person at school, whether it's some teacher, it doesn't really matter where we go, God sends us 
to people who are in need. Notice he saw him and had compassion. Second thing God calls us to do is to manifest the heart, the compassion of God. When we see people, we feel moved. How do you feel moved? Because God's had compassion on you because you're vitally connected to him. You're actually open in your heart and you see, you feel need. You, you feel the compassion. One of the things I've learned about flowing in the gifts of the Spirit is whenever I feel compassion for someone, I know God will give a gift of the Spirit to operate. As soon as I feel the compassion, I know God's going to do something. As soon as I sense a heart for the person, I know God is about to do something. When you see someone, meet someone, begin to discover a problem or an issue, and you start to feel compassion in your heart, God is stirring you to do something. So compassion, we need to manifest the compassion. Not close our heart, but be sensitive in our heart to the needs of people. Now, you don't have to meet every need, as you'll see this guy didn't either. Jesus definitely didn't. He said he went to him. He went to him. So here's the third characteristic. We need to be able to engage and enter, enter and engage the world of unsaved people. Now, to enter and engage unsaved people, you must be able to get rid of religious clutter and jargon and, and funny ways of doing things and talk in language and realities that unsaved people can understand. We've got to be able to enter their world without any judgment. Enter their world and understand people who are sinning do crazy stuff. We need to understand where they're, at, where they're coming from, what's going on. Today, there's a, the, the next generation that's emerging got immense needs. I was looking at a study uh, related to the Gen Ys and uh, concerning the baby boomers, uh, those who were married or uh, were, were married or permanently married at around the age of 24, there was something like about 70% of the Gen Ys, which are the younger generation now, only 5% married at about the same time. Huge drop over two or three generations. Disillusion with relationships, disillusion with all kinds of things, unable to enter into commitments. The world around us has changed rapidly. So the church has to change and the way it does its business to engage with a culture that has shifted. And now that's a challenge because, of course, if you're from my generation, you tend to think in certain sorts of ways, but the young generation and the people today think and operate radically differently. And in order to engage them, you've got to be willing to enter their culture without judgment and begin to understand how their culture operates and connect with ordinary people who are quite wounded and need someone. The needs are the same. The answers are the same. It's just the wrapping is different. That's all. But the church over the decades has been notoriously slow to engage culture at where it is with the needs it has right now. And we need to do that. We need to do that. Notice the next thing he went to him. See, he entered his world. Can you enter the world of unsaved people and begin to even understand them and find out what's going on? It requires a measure of conversational skill and ability. It requires a heart to listen. Requires a willingness to be non-judgmental. Next thing you notice is he bandaged his wound. He connected to and identified the wounds in the man. He bandaged his wound. Now you can't you can't minister to someone's needs unless you connect into and identify what they are. And usually that requires listening with a heart to hear, ability to ask a few questions. I found people will open up. They will share their heart. You say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, do what you can. If God put a touch and brought that person around you, why don't you do what you can? 
Okay? And the next thing you notice, you poured in the oil and the wine. Well, God calls us to be ministers of the Holy Ghost, the oil and the wine. Notice that the religious people lacked oil and wine. They lacked the anointing, the flow, the presence, the activity of the Holy Spirit. But this man here had that anointing, had that flow. He had what was needed to bring soothing and healing to the wound, and he did what he could at the time. Gifts of the Spirit are for every believer. God calls you to operate in giftings so you can bring a word of encouragement, word of prophecy, word of healing. Bring ministry at the level you're able to. And whatever level you're able to, grow in it. Get more oil and more wine. We'll talk about that at another time. The next thing says, he set him on his animal, as an animal. What he did then was he adjusted his priorities around his mission. Jesus continually adjusted his time and his scale of doing things around mission. When people came to him in need, he made adjustments and met the needs. When people came to him with faith, he stopped to listen to them and meet their needs. People with needs come at most inconvenient times. So one of the things about the Samaritan was he was willing to reprioritize his life. It's incredibly inconvenient if you're riding a horse to get off and put someone on and start to walk. To be engaged with the needs of people is inconvenient. It requires we adjust what we do. I found every time anyone's come with a need or I've spotted a need, that never was at a good time. You notice people don't even die at a good time. They just die at a most inconvenient time. And yet you've got to step off on whatever you're doing and get involved with that. It's part of what ministry is like. It's how the next thing he said, he brought him to an end. One of the things we need to learn how to do is how to bring people into the house of God, into the body of Christ, to begin to connect them. None of us has all the answers, not one of us. But together, we can actually provide healing and hope and help for people. So he didn't just fix them up on his own. He just did what he could. So another thing he did was he knew his limits. When you're working with people, you need to know your limits. It can help to a certain extent, and it needs others to help. Sometimes we recognize the needs are beyond what we can do. And then we have to refer to someone else who can do the job. But we can at least reprioritize our life, connect with the person, help them actually make the next step. Next thing he did was he took care of him. When you bring someone to church, there's a way of actually drawing people in. Many times you try to invite someone to church who's hurting and needing, and, and they desperately need the touch of God, but we haven't sown into their life. We haven't invested kindness in their life long enough for them to be willing to make a response. Notice this man invested healing and invested energy and time into him, and that then laid the way for him to respond. He was able to bring him into the inn, bring him to the house of God. There's a way of bringing people into the church. There's a way of linking people into the church. He brought them to where others were, brought them to a place where there was vitality in life. Notice there he took care of them. He followed them up. If you bring someone here on a Sunday, then look after them. Follow them up. Check out how they're being looked after. You look after them. Make them a priority. And if you didn't bring anyone and someone else did, well, then you as a part of the general people that are in the inn, go to them and make them welcome. Make them feel like they're very special. Feel like they're very important. Make them very welcome. And then finally, the last thing it is, he released finances to do what he couldn't do, the ongoing care. And one of the things we're all called to do is to release what resources we have. For some, it may be just a little. Well, a little is just very big if it's in God's eyes. Okay? Or it may be a lot more. It doesn't really matter. The key principle here is that resources are released so that God's work of ministering to people and bringing them to wholeness and activating them again can take place. This is what Jesus did. This is what love looks like. That's what love looks like. That's what it looks like. Let's have a look at it again. Love. Love embraces the calling 
as a sent person to the community. You embraced your calling as a sent person. Love is sensitive to the heart of God and manifests the compassion of God. Do you feel that sometimes and let that rise up when you see people with needs? Love enters the world of unsaved people, engages them, begins to build a bridge and a connection across to them. Love identifies and, and begins to recognize the needs people have. Because once you've found a need and you begin to meet that need, their heart opens up to you. Love ministers the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Love reaches out with the gifts of God, the flow of what you've got in worship, what you've got from God begins to flow out and touch that person's life. Love reprioritizes the life so you can fulfill what God called you to do. If you are in a business or a workplace, that place you're called to be the missionary, the pastor of that place. So you're the one responsible then, and God will open the opportunities. See, what else did he do? He brought them to an end. We're called to connect people to the church, the local church, the body of Christ. We're called to connect people. Do you connect people? We're called to follow them up with some personal care, one-on-one care. No one thrives without personal care. You're here because someone cared for you. I'm here because someone cared for me. I'm here because someone showed interest in me. Finally, uh, love, true love releases resources that the work of God can be much bigger than we are. That's what love looks like. No wonder Jesus taught this parable. It's one of the most brilliant parables I've recognized and seen and gone through in the New Testament. And it contains wonderful gems about what love really looks like. That's the kind of people God wants us to be. Let's just close our eyes right now. Father, we just thank you that you loved us. You do love us. You continue to love us. But Lord, with our receiving that love comes a great responsibility. A responsibility for the house of God, that it be built and made strong. Responsibility for the community that Christ is made known through our personal lives. Father, we thank you for such a great call. We thank you, Lord, that increasingly your church will arise and engage the community in different ways and different levels. And broken people will be restored. And Lord, we want to be such a people that will do that. Listen, while our eyes are closed and heads about, is there anyone sitting here today that's never actually made that first personal connection with Jesus Christ? This would be a great day to make that decision. Trying to be a good person isn't enough. Just coming to church isn't enough. It needs a personal connection to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today, right at that stage, where you want to give your life to Christ, receive forgiveness of your sins, a connection with God, a beginning of a new life? Why don't you just raise your hand if that's you today. Is there anyone here this morning, right at that place to receive Jesus Christ? Right at that place of decision. Don't put it off. Make that decision today. I will open my heart to the Lord. I'll open my heart to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today, that place, that position? Just raise your hand. Let me know. While our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I wonder how many people you felt God challenging you today, challenging you not to be like the priest and the Levite who saw the need and closed your heart, but to be like the Samaritan. And wherever you go, there's a channel of life flows through you. If you felt God speaking to your heart about that this day, just raise your hand just right now. Say, God's speaking to me. God bless, God bless, God bless. Father, we just thank you. Pray for a flow of your spirit around our lives, around ministries. Father, we pray that from 
this body of people, many will rise up with great boldness to make Christ known, great boldness to reach the lives of people around them, great boldness to interact in a creative way with the community, great boldness to interact with people who are desperately empty and need you. Father, we just pray for that ministry of the Good Samaritan, that flow of love and compassion to begin to come like a river through this church to touch people who are in need. Jesus, we give you all the honor and all the glory. Some of you have got great gifts in this area. I feel the Lord saying there's some that your gift has been shut down for whatever reason. For some you were disappointed, someone you've invested in a lot of energy, a lot of time, and, and then they didn't come through. They didn't respond as you thought they would. This is the same thing that Jesus experienced, of course. We invest in people because it's an expression of love and representing God. And they don't always respond well, but you have to let it go. You're responsible just to sow the love, the goodness, the kindness of God. You're responsible to speak to them and speak the truth. You're not responsible for how they respond. Maybe some today here and, and uh, your heart is shut down and you've stopped giving out, stopped reaching out because you've suffered some you know, rejection or knockbacks or setbacks or, you know, some kind of injustice you need to let it go today just let it go let it go and say God I will give myself to reaching out the people around me I will give myself to engaging people where they are I will give myself to making you known Amen